Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Rob Levy with Prudential Northwest Properties in Portland, Oregon. Last year, he closed 92 transactions with a total sales volume of $34 million. His average sales price was $369,000, of which 50% were buyers and 50% were sellers. He operates a team with five members, one escrow coordinator, two buyer agents, one runner, and one team leader. Rob Levy is the team leader of the Rob Levy team. He's been an agent for 23 years. Rob works the Metro Portland area and has been ranked the number one Prudential agent in Portland for the last five years. He specializes in both internet lead generation and past client repeat and referral business. Rob grew up going to 24 schools in four different countries. His parents traveled a lot. Rob learned how to make friends fast. He uses those skills today to build relationships with new, current, and past clients. Then he can easily ask for referrals and repeat business. Rob is a self-proclaimed technology nerd. He was using email in the 80s and was the first e-certified Prudential agent in the world. Rob gives lectures to real estate agents all over the nation on how to use technology in their businesses. Rob has amassed a huge email database with over 24,000 email addresses. It includes his past clients, sphere of influence, and out-of-area agents. He emails a monthly electronic newsletter to the entire list and specific emails to unique groups. Rob generated a whopping 54% of his business from the internet last year. He uses a combination of search engine optimization, pay-per-click advertising, and networking to push leads to his personal website, his stealth website, and his Facebook business page. Listen closely to how Rob automates his follow-up systems. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Rob. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Rob, before we start talking about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what did you do before you got into real estate? I was very lucky. I was actually started life as an automotive mechanic, and from there ended up into the service department, all with BW. There was a little stint outside of that where I was selling automotive test equipment, and one of the things that I learned is nobody ever walks into a BMW repair store saying, hi, I want to spend three grand fixing my car and it's not supposed to break. From there, I actually ended up also working as a service rep for BMW as well. And I really had to learn how to, you know, to, to, to sell what I was selling. In other words, it was, it was tough. It was a lot of problem solving. A lot of people were upset. What do you mean my brakes wore out at you know, 5,000 miles or something like that? And so on. So I, I learned some great skills from that on how to deal with people and how to sell something that people didn't necessarily want to buy. 
What made you decide to get into real estate? I'd mentioned I sold automotive equipment, and uh, when I was 25 years old, I was actually the top salesman in the country working out of the Los Angeles area selling for bare automotive equipment, and I started buying rental houses. And here I was, essentially in the customer service business between that and BMW, and I'd call the realtor that sold me a previous rental house, and they'd never call me back. And this happened several times. And at one point, I thought, you know, I ought to get into this business and try some of the skill set that I've learned from selling automotive equipment, but in particular from the service department at BMW. And so I did, and I never looked back. I'm, I'm kind of dating myself. That was 23 years ago. And I'm a real techie nerd. I'm basically a nerd with a real estate license. So back then, I had one of those modems where you actually dialed with the phone and you took the headset and pushed it in two rubber cups and then the MLS would start printing out across on some very ex expensive thermal paper. But that's how I immediately carved out a niche for myself as a, as a techie nerd with a real estate license. I think I read somewhere that in your youth, you went to a whole bunch of schools and a whole bunch of countries. What was that all about? I was born in England and I went to school in England, France, Spain, and Canada. And I went to 24 schools in 12 years. So I think that was another thing that kind of helped my success is I had to learn how to make friends over and over and over and over again. And uh, and that's really helped me. I mean, I'll walk into any room and talk to any stranger, and I think that makes a difference. Why were you moving so much? Kind of a wanderlust parent. <laughs> and the long story, my, my father, that was the other thing that kind of has helped me with money is my father uh, was very successful and then retired at a very young age and pretty much lost everything and then did it all again and then lost it all again. And and so I started looking for more stable investments and stuff, and I'd, I'd kind of learned from that. Did you have a fast start or a slow start? I guess I'd say a middle start. I live in Portland, Oregon. I work the west side of Portland. There are about 70,000 electronic engineers within five miles of my office, and none of them have a personality, and they all have email. I started in 1988 before the World Wide Web and stuff came along, but everybody, you know, all of those guys had email address. So, so I started out um, with a CompuServe email address, some big long series of numbers. So I, I kind of got off to a quick start with that sort of a crowd. They, they liked that. Geographically, where is Portland, Oregon? Basically in the Pacific Northwest, Portland is right on the border between Oregon and Washington, about three and a half hours drive south of Seattle and about 10 hours drive north of San Francisco. We're in a state of about 3.5 million people in the entire state, and of that, about 2.2 live in the Portland metro area, of which about a third is in Vancouver, Washington. I don't work the Washington side of the river, though. Describe your current real estate market. It's kind of interesting, Mike. In Seattle and Portland, the Pacific Northwest, always seems to be late to whatever this sort of stuff comes to. In other words, when prices go up, we were the last to go up. When prices came down, we were the last to come down. So when the market started dropping here around 2006, 2007 in the rest of the country, we all kind of looked at ourselves and said, what are you talking about? We're doing great. So for us, it's been a very recent thing. So in the last year, my business has gone from practically no short sales to almost 50% of my business. Prices in the burbs right now, as we speak, are down about 37%. Prices in closer in areas are down about maybe 10 to 15% maximum. That's a big adjustment. That all happened in the last year or so? two, maybe two and a quarter years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a big change. If you looked at your overall market, what percentage of the market do you think are short sales and REOs versus retail sales? Right now, my personal business is about 50% short sales. I don't currently do any REOs, but I just got back from a major conference and I'm hoping to do more. I've done a few, just uh, literally just a few. But right now, 50% of my business is short sales and I believe citywide it's around about 37%.
Do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? I don't. It's kind of odd. I don't geographically farm. I consider myself a people farmer. Basically, I farm my past clients, but I'm very, very good with technology, and I always have been. I was the first e-certified agent in the entire Prudential Network. Like I said, I used an email address back in 88, so, and I really, really learned how to use the Internet well. So as a result, last year, for instance, 54% of my business came off of the Internet. Those were people that didn't even know me. So if I were to have a niche, I guess I would say that that's it. Personally, I'm primarily a listing agent myself, and I do have a couple of buyer's agents that help me with the buyers because I don't have the patience. Let's talk about how you generate your business. Could you go down a quick list of the different ways that you bring business into your organization? This past client and past client referrals, those referrals from other agents, and I will add a farm in there, and that is that I do farm other realtors. For instance, I'm with Prudential here in Oregon, and Prudential is very strong in California, so I make sure that I'm available at different conferences, and I work as high a role as I possibly can to get in there as a speaker, whatever the case may be, to get my name out there, so that when somebody's shouting around an office in San Francisco or Los Angeles or something, said, hey, who do you guys know in Oregon, that my name will come up. And a great, for instance, is that happened just yesterday, and the people came up, and they're buying a $600,000 house, which is almost three times our average here. So that sort of stuff works. Past clients, past client referrals slash realtor referrals would represent 50% of my business, and the other 50% is strictly off of the Internet, and that's divided up into two groups. People that go to roblevy.com, so people that would actually know I'm a realtor or know me, uh, and people that go to either my stealth sites or my Facebook business page. Let's first talk a little more about this referrals from other agents. You mentioned you go to these conferences, you try to get in front of them. Are you doing anything else? Do you have a mailing list or email list that you try to send out to try to stay in front of those people? I do, Mike. I have a monthly e-newsletter on the Portland real estate market. It's actually a three-piece newsletter. first part talks about the Portland real estate market, and I've got a little Excel chart that I throw in there that shows inventory versus pending sales. And the second part is some sort of an article for that month. It could be on REO Homes or whatever the case may be. And then the third one, I always advertise my moving truck. And that goes to my past clients and to other realtors. And you'll just, you'll laugh at this, but it goes to 24,000 of my closest friends. That's realtors all over the country, past clients, so on and so forth. And the cool part is, is I make it once, I click on click, I don't have to lick any stamps, and it's free. Or essentially free. It's part of a service that I pay for. How did you develop an email list with 24,000 people on it? Collecting business cards at real estate conferences. One of the ways I did that is I always made myself available for talking about technology. So you asked about a niche. My niche is technology. And I'm happy to speak about it. And when I do speak about it, of course, people want samples of some of the stuff that I'm doing. And I'll say, look, give me your email address, and I'll send you a link to all of the samples. So I send people a link to the samples, and now I've got their email addresses, and I'm just emailing them monthly updates. And, you know, agents like getting that stuff. And oftentimes, like I said, you know, Fred sitting in a real estate office in Miami could be saying, hey, who do you guys know in Portland, Oregon? And it just happens that Mary that was sitting two cubes over got my newsletter, you know, two days ago or something, and say, hey, that Rob Levy guy up in Portland, that's who I'd use. So this stuff works. Basically, you built the list by offering a free sample of your marketing material. Correct. Let's now talk about your past client referral business. How are you staying in touch with those people? Basically, I don't do any advertising. I find it interesting. I've been Prudential's top agent in my marketplace out of like 700 agents for the last five years in a row. 
And it's five years ago that I stopped doing any type of print marketing of any kind, or print, excuse me, let me clarify that, any type of print advertising of any kind. Um, I still mail stuff to my clients, and even though I just painted myself as a techie nerd with a real estate license, truth is I send out some things that stick around, and I mean that with a little pun, and that would be magnets. And I still send out like an Oregon Ducks, uh, Oregon State Beavers football magnet, for instance, just went out because the season just started. Farmer's markets stuff I send out. I've got a, a magnet that goes on a furnace that, that shows people to write down their filter size and the date they changed the filter. So I send out a lot of that sort of stuff. I've done uh, Teldon calendars now for 22 years, I think it is. I do those every year. In other words, basically anything that I send out is something that's going to hang around for a while. So I do that. I do use a tickler where I contact a lot of my past clients. I'm a big iPad user. And whenever I see an article, uh, I have a goal. Uh, let me elaborate on this. I have a goal every day where before I really do any work, I will actually email three people, call three people, and send three notes. So as a, for instance, it's just thank you notes, or it could be, hey, Mike, I was just thinking of you today because I saw blah de blah and that happened to be something that I knew you were interested in. And for instance, I read The Economist uh, magazine. And if you read The Economist magazine, you can get their free iPad subscription. And from the iPad, you could read an article for instance, I've got a client that moved here from Asia, and recently they had an article on something to do with Asian economy. And I clicked on forward and sent it to her, and she's a bigwig with a, a local garment company. And she forwarded that email on to somebody else and said, hey, you're asking me who to sell your house with. This is the guy. So you never really know where you're going to get your business when you do things like that. Do you put some type of message at the end of your email recommending that it be forwarded to a friend? I have in the past, but I've found that you don't really need to do that anymore. You can put too many things on your messages. So really, I just make sure that I've got my contact info. And, and by the way, I'll throw a little tip in there. If you're sending out emails, I see a lot of agents and people in any business, really, that send an email that's an HTML email, meaning, meaning there's pictures and stuff. And oftentimes, that picture will be their business card, but you can't click on it. So if I'm on an iPhone you, and I get an email from you, I want to be able to click on your phone number and just call you back right away. So make sure that when you do that, that you've got your phone number just typed in there as text and your email just typed in there as text so they can forward it and then somebody can email you back or can just click on the number and call you if, if we're on an iPhone or BlackBerry or something. And then advertise something. Uh, one of the things I've done is search any home in Portland, click here, and it'll take them to my, my buyer site where they can fill out their search form. Or recently I've got, you know, please like me on Facebook, and I've got facebook.com slash the Rob Levy team, which is the link to my Facebook business page and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm always promoting something. You mentioned that you're sending out a lot of mail to your past clients. How often are you trying to send out pieces of mail to them? I only do that about once a quarter. Well, let's see, with my calendar, yeah, that's probably true. Five to six times a year maximum. Uh, it's expensive. I don't like doing it. And I prefer to do stuff by email. There's a t couple of tools that I use that, that, are, that enable me to gather people's email addresses because I'm giving them something in return. One of the things that I offer to people is our company has something called an automated CMA. And there's various versions of it. Top Producer makes one called Market Snapshot. Uh, Prudential's got their own in-house product that we use. But what I'm basically offering is, is, is I can say, hey, Mike, you know, I know all of us have got retirement accounts, and every month we'll get a mailing from our retirement account. We know how much money we've got in there. Every month, we always know at the end of the month how much money we've got in there. Most people don't really know the value of their house at any given time. 
would it be okay with you if I were to put in your address and your email address and have me send you an automated email every month, no obligation. It's going to show you all of the active, pending, and sold houses around yours. That way you kind of always know what's going on in your neighborhood. I mean, people will pretty much always say yes to that. So when they say yes to that, they're going to get that automated CMA, we call it in-house property information profile. So I'm touching them 12 times a year with that. And I'm sending out my newsletter that I just mentioned previously, going out through Real Pro Systems, and I'm touching them 12 times of that. So I'm touching them 24 times a year by email. So if I'm doing that, I don't really need to send out as many mailings. And when I do mailings, as I mentioned, I like to do magnets so that whatever I'm sending is going to stick around for a bit. So I feel like I'm keeping myself in front of them quite often. I will add that if you're doing that, you really need to monitor those emails because people change email addresses all the time or they change jobs if they give you a work email address. So when you get one that bounces back, you then need to file it away. I kind of file them all away in Outlook, and I've got kind of a part-time high school assistant that comes in and helps me every now and then. And we'll then write a letter to that person saying, hey, you've been getting this every month. And by the way, in the letter is a copy of what it looks like so they can recognize it. I see you've changed your email address. Would you mind letting us know the new email address and so we can start that up again? So you need to stay on top of that sort of stuff. But by doing what I mentioned, it's very powerful. I'm keeping my face in front of them all year long. And it's automated behind the scenes. Automated behind the scenes. Like I said, I've got 20-something thousand newsletters going out. Granted, the majority of those are realtors in other states. But I believe right now I've got close to 2,000 automated CMAs going out every single month. Do you ask your past client in person to go on that email list? Are you doing that at a closing, for instance? Or are you calling people on the phone and just starting off with this offer? How did you get it going? How are you starting that conversation? Are you doing this in writing by emailing them this statement that you just made about getting this automated CMA? Actually, all of the above. I mean, any way that I can. So, for instance, if I sold you a house, you're a buyer, and we just had a closing today, I'll tell you. I mean, I always joke around at a closing anyway, and I say, oh, my gosh, Mike, I need your help. What's that? I'm unemployed. I'm no longer working for you. Could you know anyone that wants to employ me? And it's kind of a great joke to try and get some more business. And by the way, as busy as I am, I, I, I try to go to every single closing that I can because that's the best opportunity to meet and greet and shake hands, and, and they'll thank you. And I usually oftentimes ask them for a reference. I got a reference yesterday for some people, and they had to write a $120,000 check to sell their house. And I wanted something from them just basically saying, Rob, we know you worked really hard, you and your team, and the market is the market. And, and that's basically what I got. But that was kind of off your topic. Um, at the time, if I'm there with a buyer, I'll, I'll say, look, one of the things I'm going to do to keep you always in the know as to the value of your home is I'm going to be adding you to this, blah, blah, blah. And it's not a yes, no question. I'm just letting them know that I'm doing it. And oftentimes what I'll do when they've gone out, when I'm following up with clients, confirm that they're getting them. And I say, can I ask you a favor? Would you mind forwarding that to a couple of friends of yours and letting them know I'd be happy to do that for them? No obligation, of course. Most people do. I mean, they'll tell their friends about it. Hey, this is cool. This is what my realtor's sending me. You ought to call them. You're generating business from the internet for a real estate company. What are you doing there to stimulate, what did you say, 54% of your business came from the internet? It is, last year. And, and some listeners might say, oh my gosh, he's not a very good relationship person because I do 80% of my business with past clients. One of the things that I will say is that you know I never really got into the, the stupid loans and all of these investors and stuff like that. So the majority of the people that I've dealt with over the years have been quality people that bought quality houses. And I spend half my time telling people, hey, look, you've got to live somewhere. You know, don't sell your house. Let's wait this one out. 
So as a result, my regular retail referral business has actually dropped off, the repeat business, I should say. And so my Internet business has picked up because we've had more of a focus on it. Basically, the way that I see it, and again, I don't mean to come across as a total expert on this. I'm not trying to do that. But I am lucky in that I do understand technology, especially for a guy in my early 50s. And I live in a very, very techy part of the world. The Pacific Northwest is definitely a leader in the world when it comes to technology. I mean, the biggest employer around my office is Intel with 20-something thousand employees here. So basically, my, the 54% that I referred to from 2010 coming from the Internet comes from the three sources. So there's my main website, roblevy.com, and there's what I call stealth sites, which I'll elaborate on in a second, and then there's the Facebook business page. Let's start with Facebook. There's a Facebook business page and a Facebook personal page. When I got up to about 1,500 followers on my Facebook personal page, I started to realize I was getting into trouble. Number one, they have a limit of 5,000, and I, was, I knew that I'd get there pretty quick. Number two, you really can't do much business stuff on your Facebook personal page. And if you do, if you start dumping your listings, which some services offer to do automatically on your Facebook personal page, they'll just turn off your account. It's right there in the writing. I've seen people that have had it done, and you're done. You just lost all 2,000 contacts or whatever the heck you had in there. So it's very important to develop a Facebook business page and start moving your existing people over there and driving new people there. And the beauty of a Facebook business page is this. If I've got a business page and it's dedicated for business, so Facebook's cool with it. If I have a listing that goes up on there right now, and all of my listings automatically do, I do my blog articles, and I also put my newsletter, a copy of that on there, and you're a friend of mine, you've liked my page, then that's actually going to show up on your page. So now your friend is my friend, because the friend of yours just checked your page and saw this new house that just came on the market in southwest Portland by Rob Levy, so you advertised my listing for me. So I definitely get business out of that. But let's go back to the websites for a second. So there's two types of websites. There's roblevy.com, which is my main site. And we're going to talk about organic SEO. SEO is search engine optimization. Organic means it's done by content rather than paying for it. And then the stealth sites. Let's say you mentioned you live in Denver, and you're thinking about moving to Portland. And I know we're doing this audio in uh, September. And you're thinking about moving next February. You and your wife know you've got a job transfer coming up you want to kind of find out what's going on in the housing market. Probably the last possible thing you guys want to do right now is talk to a realtor because you know that if you go to roblevy.com, I'm going to start bugging you, you know, trying to make sure that I'm your realtor. And I know as a realtor that you're probably contacting two or three different agents. So the second source that seems to work so well is something called a stealth site. And the idea of a stealth site is a site that kind of flies under the consumer's radar. And the way that that works is I've got some domains, for instance, like portlandmls.net, emailhomevalue.net, oregonbankhome.com. I've got a short sale site and various other sites. So let's say that you're surfing Google and you see seven, eight realtor sites on the first page. And let's just say, for instance, I'm number one, which actually I am. And we'll get back to how I did that in a minute out of 6,000 agents in Portland, by the way you still probably aren't going to want to go to my site. Because remember, you're moving six, eight months from now. You don't want to talk to me. But on the right-hand side or the top where all the paid ads are, you might see a link that says, get emailed all the homes in Portland as they come on the market. Click here, portlandmls.net. You're probably more inclined to click on that, the type of buyer I just described you as, because it's non-threatening. So you'll actually go to that page. It's got some maps and pictures of houses and stuff like that. And it's going to ask for your first name, your phone number, and an email address, and it's going to say you're looking for a house, a condo, price range, area, bedrooms, bathrooms, stuff like that. 
So you're going to fill out that form because it's non-threatening. Well, of course, it's going to go to me. It's going to go into my IDX. You're going to get the listings you want, but it's also going to get a series of drip emails coming from me. And they're categorized into two types. One is just check-in messages. You know, hey, this is Rob. I just wanted to check and make sure you're getting all the listings that you want. And the other one that I've really gotten into big time is video. And those would be video messages. And basically, I did a whole series of videos. There's about 130, I think, in there. And it's me sitting at my desk saying, hi, this is Rob Levy of Prudential Northwest Properties in Portland, Oregon. Today I want to talk to you about the Oregon Property Disclosure Form. And then it scrolls, showing the pictures of the form. And there's an audio overlay that I did over the top. It says, this four-page form is the Oregon Property Disclosure Form. You as a buyer have the right to view this form, and you'll be getting a copy of it, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, it comes back to me sitting at my desk again saying, thanks again for working with us. We look forward to helping you find a home in Portland, Oregon. So let's elaborate on that again. You're going to be getting the emails with the listings, emails from me checking in, and email what I like to call educational videos. And by the way, those are interviews with escrow officers. Those are interviews with my furnace guy, talking about the difference between an 80% and a 96% furnace. So what I'm trying to do is educate you and build rapport. Earlier in this conversation, I talked about having to make friends as a kid from moving all over the world so much. That's what I'm really trying to do with you here. I'm trying to make friends with you. So you're probably well inclined to start responding to some of those emails. And once you've done that, now you've moved yourself from a lead to a prospect. That kind of covers stealth sites. The one thing that I do want to talk about with a stealth site is portlandmls.net, for instance. If you go and look at it, it's one page. And that's all it is. So there's no way on God's green earth that that could ever show up high in the search engines because there's no information on there. So the only way to market that is pay-per-click advertising through Google, Bing, whatever it is that you're using. And so that's what we do to promote those ones. The second part of the conversation is the regular website. I mentioned that roblevy.com, if you search Portland Realtor, I'm generally towards the top of the front page, Portland, Oregon Real Estate. I'm either on the first page or the second page. That's a tough one. And Portland Real Estate is tough because there's also Portland, Maine. So there's two cities that are competing with a total of about 12,000 realtors. But you know, first or second page is pretty cool. And the way that I do that without paying any money is the V word again, video. So what I've done is I've gone out there and I've done videos of all the different neighborhoods in town and created what I like to call community pages. So if you were to go to roblevy.com, for instance, click on communities, click on Southwest Portland, you'll notice that A, there's a bunch of subsets of Southwest Portland, like Hillsdale, Multnomah Village. I even have a link to the Portland Timbers soccer team there because the stadium's in Southwest Portland. But on the main page itself, you'll notice that there's four videos. And those videos are of different neighborhoods, and they're hosted on YouTube but play in RealPro. And then there's all sorts of information on Southwest Portland, and there's predefined searches. So there's links there to Southwest Portland homes, say between 200 and 300, 300 and 400, whatever the case may be. So if you were to type in, for instance, Southwest Portland real estate sitting there in Denver, Google's going to think, wow, this guy's really important. He's got all these community pages. He's got all these videos hosted on YouTube. And who owns YouTube? Google. He's important. Let's move him up the search engines. So by doing that for all different areas, and by talking about the videos I talked about earlier going out in emails, they all play on my RealPro system site, but they're hosted on YouTube. So Google thinks I'm way more important than I am. And so as a result of that, I come up high in the search engines. You mentioned that you're sending out these emails with video in them. Is the video actually in the email, or are you talking about a link that you click on the email to go back and see the video? First off, let's talk about how you do the video. It's amazingly cheap. The biggest tip that I can give people would actually be 
when you're going to go by camera, there's one that's currently out there called a Kodak PlayTouch, and another one is a Kodak ZI8, which is actually a similar camera but cheaper. And they come with an external microphone plug. And I know you're an audio-video guy, so you know the importance of that. So now if I'm sitting on one side of the room videoing you, I can actually plug a little mic into your collar, a little lapel mic, which you can buy at Radio Shack for $29.99. And I can video you. And by the way, that camera, as we speak today, they sell for $120. We're not talking about a lot of money. And these are 1080p HD high-quality cameras. I mean, it's amazing where this stuff is. So the first thing that I would say is that's the equipment that you need to buy. So what we do is we take the video, and when we put it together, and, and that's free too, it's all done through Windows Live Movie Maker, which comes with Windows 7. I think iMovie comes with the, with the Mac devices. What I did is I went to my local high school, and I called the computer science teacher, and I said, hey, I need one of your kids that has no life and is a real nerd. And I hired him, and I have him come in and put those together. So he'll help me video the stuff, put it all together. It takes him about an hour for each one, and I think I pay him 10, 12, 12 bucks an hour for doing this stuff. So he, he loves doing it. So here's the biggest problem. I create this super cool video. I put it up on YouTube on my Rob Levy account, and I send you a link. And so it's just sent to you in an email. When you click on that link, you're being driven to YouTube. And there may be all of my competitors up on there, and there may also be some inappropriate stuff up on there that I don't want you seeing. And a classic example, I was looking at an agent friend of mine the other day who would sent me a video, and I clicked on it, and two of his competitors are basically offering a similar video right there on the list next to him. So whenever you do that, you need to make sure that your videos actually play on your personal website. And the one that I use through RealPro Systems, I then click on Sync, and it brings the video links over from YouTube over to RealPro. The second problem is that if I were to send you a video linked in an email, a lot of the spam checkers will look at that and say, oh my god, it's a video, let's throw it into the spam folder. So you may never even see it. And so what we do is these go out through RealPro and it has a picture of the video, not the video itself. So now it's just a picture of it. So you get an HTML email from me with my picture of my team at the top and my little moving truck and all my information at the bottom and a text message in case you have the pictures turned off. So the text will actually come across so I can at least get to the point of my message. But if your pictures are turned on, as are most people when you know who it is you're getting the emails from, you'll see a picture of a video and it says, click here to view the video. And when you click on it, it'll drive you to a link on my RealPro site and you're watching the video there. So that's how we get through the spam checkers and that's how we get through you watching the video there versus on YouTube because all you're seeing is me. You're watching it on my website. Now it becomes very powerful. How long are these videos in time? How long is the final cut? Great question. Probably the most important question of the day talking about video. People are not going to sit there and watch a three and a half minute long video. I had a very good friend of mine from Charlotte sent me a, a just fantastic video of her. And she's like been in the Charlotte area, her family, for over 200 years. And it talks about how she's been there for 200 years. And she's a great realtor, by the way, with a great reputation and a good team, blah, blah, blah. But man, it went on for three and a half minutes. You know, nobody's going to sit there and watch that for three and a half minutes. She had all of these uh, past clients, you know, talking about how great she is and stuff. But, I mean, how many of those do you need? I think she had seven or eight of them in there. You know, one or two is fine. So the direct answer to your question is people have an attention span of video between about 45 seconds and a minute and 10, 15 seconds maximum. So you've got to keep them short and sweet, short and sweet. The only exception to that would be a community video. So if you're doing a video, for instance, of the Hillsdale area of southwest Portland, I can get away with three minutes there because I'm showing different houses, parks, 
things like that. And the people that are looking at those are actually looking at them because they want to see the houses and see the parks. But keep in mind, when you're doing these videos, it's not just because I'm trying to get a message across. It's also because it's great for SEO. So the more you've got, the better. Another great example of what we're doing in the video is let's say that I've got this super deal of the week. I'll blast that out to people. Now, you can't abuse that privilege. But I could send an email out to all of the, the thousands of people that have got registered in my database now saying, hey, this is Rob Levy. I just want to let you know about this terrific house that we just put on the market. This one is priced under value. It's a great opportunity, blah, 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 and, and go on and talk about that house. You'd be amazed how many responses we got. Where do you shoot these? Are these done in your office? They're done me sitting at the very desk I'm sitting at right now talking to you. I clean myself up a little. And I usually have my big screen monitor going in the background with my website. That helps. Yeah, just right here in the office. I have a tripod set up to me right now so that I can send out a message anytime I want. How do you dress? Do you try to dress super professional in a suit? Do you dress more casually? You know, I'm in Portland, Oregon. So sometimes I think I should have a tie-dye shirt on. But um, the reality is I kind of dress semi-business, casual slash formal. So in the summer, oftentimes, I'm sitting here with a Tommy Bahama shirt on and dress pants. But generally, I'll have a light sweater that I'll put on over a collared shirt and dress pants. And what I've actually decided to do, I've done so many of these, is I've got a light blue sweater, and I keep it right here in the office along with a blue shirt to sit behind it. So if I happen to be sitting here in shorts and stuff and I want to do it, I'll quickly change into that and, and do the video. Do you script out what you're going to say? I'm ADD to the max, so the answer to that is yes. Generally what I'll do, because otherwise I'll find out I've got to do like eight takes. So generally what I'll do is I'll type out my message in super big font, like 30 font size, and I'll tape it to the tripod right underneath the camera. So now I'm looking at the camera lens and actually reading the sheet of paper. Again, keep in mind, Mike, these videos are not very long, so you know, it's not that hard to remember most of the stuff. What you've typed out, is it the actual verbiage, every single word you're going to say, or is it more of a bullet point? No, it's the actual verbiage, because otherwise I'll start throwing in a bunch of ums, and I'll make a couple of mistakes and stuff, and it's just easier to type it out. I mean, literally from the beginning. Hi, this is Rob Levy, and today I want to talk to you about this super house that we just put on the market. Again, when you're doing that one, you've really got to be careful. You cannot abuse that privilege, or people will unsubscribe, and then they're not getting any of your stuff. You said you're also doing these videos of the neighborhood. What does that look like? Are you driving around in the car showing the neighborhood? Are you doing still shot pictures? What does that mean? Are you doing an aerial map? What is in the video? You know, again, you can put anything you want in a video. So again, all of the above. I've had some of them professionally done. So kind of the major area ones, for instance, Southwest Portland, I found somebody, a buddy of mine, who's a videographer for a local TV station, and his wife is a news anchor. And we have a house on the Oregon coast, a vacation home, and I traded them a week with that, and I said, can you do these for me? They went out and did them all for me. So that's one way of doing it. But as I started breaking it down into individual neighborhoods, I've done some myself, and a kid that I've hired to help me out, I've had him go out and do them. But generally, if I'm doing a specific neighborhood, like I'd, we just did one recently on Selwood, I had him go in and take a picture of a couple of art galleries and some restaurants and stand on the street corner take a video of that. So he stood at a busy street corner kind of in the middle of the little Selwood neighborhood and at a slow pan from left to right, a very slow pan, and that's very important. I think that entire video lasts like 20 seconds. So on the website uh, for Selwood, it's got homes in Selwood, it's got information on Selwood with links out to Selwood businesses, the Neighborhood Association, my little video, and I'd have to check, but I think two or three still pictures as well. 
Do you add music or any type of editorial audio to those video shots? The people that did my community ones, the big three-and-a-half-minute ones, did do some background music. I've not done it on any other ones. I mean, they're just not long enough. So it's just the pictures, just the picture of you panning the neighborhood, just so they can get a quick snapshot of what's going on. Yep, and, and that's the key. That's all you're trying to give them, quick snapshot of what's going on. That's it. That's all you want to show them. Let's go back for a second and talk about your stealth site and you're collecting the information from the prospect. You said you asked for their first name, email address, and phone number. Are those all required fields? If they do not fill one of those in, will they move forward? For years, I subscribed to the popular theory that the internet, you need to let them engage with you. So do not interfere in their life. Do not ask for a phone number. And I have a very good friend of mine, a top producing realtor in, in uh, Ohio, Sam Miller, who's extremely successful at this, sells three, 400 homes a year. And he kept saying, Rob, you're nuts. You know, you're handing all this information out. You need to ask for the phone number. So one day when the market was kind of turning and I was in desperate panic mode thinking, oh my God, the world's going to end. What am I going to do now? I thought, let's start asking for phone numbers and see what happens. Well, it's interesting what happened. The number of my leads dropped off by 30%, which made me go into a panic. <laughs> But the quality of the leads went up by 70%. So when I look, if there are 100 people filled out that form, I will find that about 30% of them give me garbage phone numbers, you know, 5551212. You'd be amazed how many people have that phone number. But the rest of them give a real number. So here's how it works. So, Mike, you fill out the form and you want a house in Beaverton between 250 and 350. That's three bedrooms or more, and you want a detached home, and you fill out the form. What we'll generally do is we'll call you up when we see that came through. And it's usually one of my buyer's agents that does it, but for the purpose of this call, it's me. And I said, hey, Mike, it's Rob Levy with Prudential Northwest Properties in Portland. Thank you so much for filling out my form, which, by the way, you didn't know until you filled it out that it's Rob Levy with Prudential Northwest Properties because, remember, you came through a stealth site. But by then, you've probably already gotten an email from me and the first set of listings. I just wanted to let you know that we're going to be fulfilling your request and sending you those houses and I'll probably follow up in the next day or two in making sure that you get what you want. And that can be a voicemail if they don't answer, whatever the case may be. Two days later, I know that they've gotten a couple of emails from me. I have to send the Oregon agency one, for instance, its first substance of contact. So I've sent them that explaining how agency works. And I know they've gotten, without checking, I know that they've already gotten their first set of homes. So I'll call them back again and say, Hey, Mike, it's Rob Levy again with Prudential. I know you've gotten a list of homes already. I just wanted to double-check with you. I noticed on the form that you didn't indicate whether you wanted a one- or a two-car garage or a house with a basement or not a basement or something like that. And what I'm going to, of course, is that's not actually on the form. So what I'm trying to get them to do is to respond to me and say, oh, yeah, great, yeah. You know, I'm, I, I'm a car collector. I really want a three-car garage. Or I've got a big family, and I really am looking for a house with a basement. Well, now I'm getting into a conversation. Now, to be honest, 90% of them are basically, leave me alone, I'm getting what I want. Getting what I want. And that, that's fine. But there's the 10% out there that we'll engage in the conversation with. And now we've got somebody that started out as, a, I've never known who the heck this person is, lead, and I've turned them into an actual prospect. So now I'm engaging with them. There's a really good chance we're going to be selling them something down the road. A classic point on that one is I've got a, a bank owned site. It's called OregonBankOwned.com. And by the way, Everybody out there right now is talking about trying to get the bank-owned listings. The, the easy part of this is actually getting the bank-owned buyers. These are people that are pretty savvy and ready to go for the most part. So on that one, I advertise the site OregonBankOwned.com. And let me tell you how I do this, because this, this works well. It's free. Free is a really good word. So what we do is we take HUD homes, 
which any licensed realtor in America is allowed to advertise a HUD home, and we put them on Craigslist. So I'll say three-bedroom, two-bath home in southwest Portland, central Beaverton, wherever the case may be, and the price. Yeah, if you'd like to see this home, contact us right away. By the way, if you'd like to get a list of all of the bank-owned homes in Portland, click here. And that click here goes to OregonBankOwned.com. When they click on OregonBankOwned.com, it pulls up my buyer's bank-owned sell site, OregonBankOwned.com, and it asks for, you guessed it, first name, email address, and phone number. And when they fill that out, they'll start getting the videos I mentioned. They'll start getting my regular emails, which I like to call my buyer education series emails. But they're also going to get an email once a week with a link to all of the new bank-owned homes for that week. And that, other than the cost of the bank-owned style site, is totally free. The listing that you have on Craigslist, does it identify you as an agent or is it also a stealth ad? I have to identify myself as an agent and it has to go into the broker's section. And I replace that ad sometimes as much as two, three times a day, putting in different ones. I've actually just came back from a conference and I know some other people doing this. And one guy hired an outsourcer, which literally they're in the Philippines and it's a virtual assistant service and they're putting 22 a day on there. I might try doing a few more of those. And again, it's free other than the time of putting them on there. And all that I'm really trying to do is aggregate buyers, and then some of those are going to be prospects. I should add to that, Mike, that you know when you've got a big list of buyers and you can show that in a listing appointment, that's a huge listing tool. You know, I'm not just trying to list your house. I want to show you. Can, I've actually got a screenshot that I've got X number of buyers registered looking for homes right now in the Portland area. That's a very good listing tool. How many buyers do you currently have in that database? 4,330 as of this morning. And I'm ADD. I can't work with more than four buyers at a time. But my systems are doing it for me. And I know what your next question is. How many of those are going to buy? And I can tell you from my experience of doing this for seven years now, between one and a half and two and a half percent of those will buy a house. We sold one a couple of months ago. This is a great story. These people called up from Portland Airport Hey, Roberts, John, we're, we're at Portland Airport, and uh, yeah, we're ready to buy a house. Do you remember us? You've been sending us these homes for four years now. I have no idea who the hell they are. So, oh, yeah, John, how are you doing? Uh, that's great. You know, what are you looking for? Well, we're looking for a house in Lake Oswego, and uh, we want at least three bedrooms, and we actually really want to buy something by next week, and, and here's the best part. We're paying cash, and we want to spend up to a million dollars. And we sold them a $989,000 house. These are people I have no idea who they were. They found me through my stealth site four years ago. They were getting my drip emails of listings and check-in messages and my newsletter every month, and I had zero contact with them. And we sold them that house, which is four times the average sales price in Portland now, for cash. I mean, this stuff works. It seems to me that a lot of your Internet business is generating buyer leads. Are you able to generate seller leads? I am, but it's a lot harder. One of the things that I've found very interesting is that people go to the Internet to look to buy a house, but when you break up the sellers into two groups, there's just regular folks with equity in their homes that want to sell their house and buy another one, and the other group is short sales. So I've developed some short sale sites and put information out there, and I don't get many people going there. It, it just seems like when somebody's in trouble with their home financially, they don't really go to the Internet and start digging up information on how to get out of the mess that they're in. But I do get a fair number of automated CMAs through my seller stealth site, emailhomevalue.net. And the way that I promote that one is it's on my website where they can click on it. On my Facebook business page that we just talked about a bit ago, 
there are two links at the bottom. One directs them to the buyer's style site, and the other one directs them to the seller's style site. So when they click on that, they'll fill out that form and request a CMA to know the value of their home. Also, we talked about the mailings that I do, my manual mailings, and we talked about the automated CMAs that I'm doing, what we call in-house, we call them a PIP, Property Information Profile. What I did is I set myself up with a fake one, emailed it to myself, and there's a great program. You might want to tell your callers to write this one down. It's called Snagit, and it costs $50. And what you're able to do with Snagit is scroll any web page. So, for instance, if I got that email with all of the actives, pendings, and solds, I can click on it, scroll all the way down to the bottom automatically, and save it as a JPEG. So now I've got something I can put into a document. So what we do whenever we're mailing out the magnets, the annual calendar, whatever the case may be, I actually always throw a copy of that in there in color, so it costs me 20 cents to print it in color. That's just a reminder. Are you getting these every month? Do you have a friend or neighbor that wants to get these every month? So that's always going out to people. So I'm continually getting a flow of people coming in from my past clients and referrals from my past clients asking for this. And I am advertising the emailhomevalley.net site, which I also do on Craigslist, and I've done it also with pay-per-click marketing on Google. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. To try to summarize in your lead generation systems, Things really haven't changed that much in the basic motivations of people. Sellers want to know the value of their home. Buyers want to see lists of properties. You've just taken that concept, put it online, and automated it. That's correct. What other elements are important on a website to make sure that it's successful? For those of us old farts that got in the business in the 80s, back then, the way to think about this is that we basically, we were, we were God. I mean, you wanted to buy a house, you had to come to us. We had something called the MLS book. So it was all about promote yourself because we've got all the information. And keeping in mind that now it's completely the opposite. All the information's out there in the public, and they don't think they need realtors. So what I would tell people is get your ego out of the way and start promoting what they want. When someone goes to southwest.com looking for flights, they want to see a little link that says book a flight. When somebody goes to a realtor website, they want to fill out a form looking for homes. That's what they're wanting to do. They don't need some giant mug of yourself popping up and information about how great and how wonderful you are and so on and so forth. All they want to do is search for homes. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. You, know, you need to do a little bit of selling on, on who you are and stuff and paint yourself as an expert in the community. But the reality is that's what they're going there for, to search for homes. What percentage of your leads come in between your branded website and your stealth site? It's about 50-50. Keeping in mind that I've got a pretty good name because I've been doing this for a long time in Portland. And so if somebody already knows me, and by the way, I have a moving van which moves around and advertises that all the time, that thing's always on the road. So if somebody kind of is searching the Internet looking for realtors and sees my site, then they are going to come to my site. Really, the people that go to the stealth site, probably a large majority of them are coming from out of town. But it's people that just are not ready to talk to a realtor yet and not engage. So the direct answer to your question is it's about 50-50. Are all of your follow-up systems automated, or are you also making phone calls to these people? I wish I could tell you I was. 
Um, that's probably my weakest point. I'm not good at picking up the phone and making the phone calls. But like I said, I commit to myself that I'm going to do three phone calls, three emails, and three notes a day to people that I don't normally stay in contact with. So that's about the limit of it, other than calling my sellers and stuff like that. I do have a team, as I mentioned, so I do have two buyer's agents. And so they're the ones that are generally calling the people off of the leads from the Internet and stuff. And that allows me to focus on my past clients and you know, my A people, the people that, are gonna, that I want to stay front of mind on that are going to refer me. Let's talk about sellers for a minute. How many listings do you currently have? Right now, I've got about, I think I've got 42. I generally average between about 25 and 55. Why do sellers hire you? What is your competitive advantage? My main push that I talk about is technology. One of the things that I do is I took my listing presentation, and like most of us, it's in a PowerPoint. I don't do printouts. Uh, I'm in Portland, Oregon. It's a very earth-friendly city. People see that as a waste of paper and stuff. So I've got it online. I do my presentation on my iPad. But what I generally do in advance is if I were going to meet you, let's say, tomorrow afternoon at your house with you and your wife to do a listing presentation, I took my marketing presentation as a PowerPoint, saved it as a PDF, uploaded it to my website, and I created a link to it. So I'll email you that link, and I'll say, Mike, would you mind taking a look through this first? This goes over my marketing presentation. And write down any questions that you may have uh, when we get there. And generally speaking, people won't have questions, and if it is, it's one or two. And from talking to them during the presentation, I'll actually figure out what it is that I need to focus on a little more. I'll know that I need to tap on page 22 on the iPad and pull up that page and elaborate more on showing feedback or something like that. But to answer your question directly, my main niche is e-marketing, and that's really what I push. I mean, the consumers that are out there right now are very tech-savvy. The crowd that seems to be buying houses on our market are the younger crowd. And so that's really what I push myself as. You mentioned that rather than the old days where you mailed a pre-listing package, you're emailing a link back to your marketing package. When you arrive at the home, what percentage of people have already reviewed that? Probably 95% got it right there on the iPad if they haven't, so I just you know, tap through it really quickly. So that's probably sped up your listing appointment. It has a lot, but more importantly, it really wasn't about a time saver. It was more about trying to find out what they need to focus on. I said, did you get a chance to go through that, Mike? Yes, we did. Do you have any questions on anything that was in there? Well, actually, yeah, I was really kind of curious. I'm, I'm really concerned about how I'm going to know who's shown the home. Well, now I know that I need to focus on how we deal with feedback, for instance. So it allows me to spend more time focusing on exactly what it is that they have concerns about. Do you use a canned or a standard listing presentation? I do. I'm a huge believer in that. And the reason that I'm a huge believer in that is if I've got a canned listing presentation, then I know what questions you're going to ask because I know what it is I'm talking about. And so I know what I'm saying in the presentation. I know what you're going to ask. If I know what you're going to ask, I already know the answer to your questions. So I'm a huge believer in that for those very reasons because I'm going to come across as the expert. You know, every once in a while, you get something that stumps you and you can't answer it. But, you know, with an iPad, with uh, the little AT&T wireless on there, I can start digging around on the Internet and find their answers right there and then. But 99% of the time, it's they've got all the answers figured out when I'm there. You've moved into a market where a lot of the folks you're talking to are upside down. How do you handle price objections? How do you handle it when they think the value of their home is more or they want it to be more because they're upside down? You know, I'm a big believer in humor, and I'll tell them, I'll say, you know, I looked at my crystal ball, but I realized it broke three years ago. 
And you'll usually get a chuckle, and I'll just say, look, you know, and, and by the way, I feel free to share war stories. I mean, I bought a house in Palm Springs, a vacation home for my wife and I, for 540000 bucks, and my neighbor just sold for one eighty. So, And I owe four hundred. I mean, I feel their pain, and I, I'm not afraid to tell them that sort of stuff. I say, look, I know what you're going through. Here's what I've done. And so really, you know, you need to get into conversations with these people, and I do, and I say, there's a difference now between what a house is worth and what it'll sell for. Let's not get hung up on what it was worth, because I think that place is still worth 540000 bucks, but I know it's not going to sell for that. So let's talk about what your competitors are doing, and then we'll get into appraisals on how, you know, really I need to sell your house twice. I need to sell your house to the buyer, and I need to sell your house to the appraiser, and that's the one that I'm worried about. And what's an appraiser going to look at? He's going to look at the most recent sales similar to yours, close to your house, and here's what they are. And sometimes we'll have, you know, we're in a little tiny state with, like I said, 3 million in the entire state, and we're next to 37 million Californians. And they'll say, well, some rich Californian's going to come up here with a million dollars, and, you know, they're not going to care, and they're just going to buy this house. And it's like, you know, no, that doesn't happen. First off, in order to get a million dollars, they made good business decisions. And secondly, it's still got to appraise if they're borrowing money, which most of them are. So let's talk about what your neighbor's houses are selling for, and let's compare that to yours. And sometimes, you know, and probably half the time I tell people, look, you know, if you don't need to sell, don't sell. You've got to live somewhere. You know, this too shall pass. Do you ever send the pricing information to the seller before your appointment? I have on occasion, but I generally don't. Usually the way that I work, Mike, and and this is just my personal preference, I do a one-step appointment, and... I'll ask you a whole bunch of questions about your house first. And, of course, I can pull up the tax data. I can pull up the old MLS if it was listed or sold in the last 10, 15 years, whatever. I'll go to the county website and look up your sewer connections and if it's a buried oil tank, if it's an older house or something like that. And I'll go to walk score and things like that and check and see what sort of a neighborhood you're in. I'll go to Google Maps and do an aerial overlay. And I can get a pretty good idea based on the fact of all of that. And you told me that you live in a two-story house that's 2,000 square feet blah, blah, blah. And so then I'll pull up everything around you that's similar and what's going on. And I'll show that to them. And I'll actually show them when I'm there. I'll say, hey, look, here's what I did. I don't like to be biased. I don't like to come to your house and then go back to my office and pull up all the comparables after I've seen your house because you may have a drop-dead gorgeous house and I'm going to be biased thinking I can get you more money. And I'm not, I'm not helping you there. I'm not being realistic. So I take all of the houses with me, and I say, let's show me around your house. Now let's look at what's going on in the market. And plunk, I pull it all out, and I'll either do it in paper or on the iPad. I usually do that one on paper, by the way, because I leave that part with them, the comps. And I say, let's see how your house compares to this. And 90% of the time, one of the houses in there, they'll say, oh, that was Fred and Mary's house down the street. Oh, boy, they gave that one away. Well, well, tell me how that house compared to your house. Well, it was kind of updated fairly well, but they didn't have the view that we had. Or, you know, we've got granite counters in the kitchen and they just had tile or something like that. And they'll start to realize right there and then that Fred and Mary's house just sold for 350 And they think that their house is worth 450 So it's pretty easy to get out of them that their house might be worth more than 350 but it sure as heck in this market isn't worth 450 So they'll kind of talk themselves into realizing what the market is. I also do a one-step CMA, as I mentioned, I don't like going back for a second visit because I don't want somebody else coming in the meantime and listing the house. Do most people come down to a proper price, or have you had to walk away? I've done both there, Mike. I'm not going to take an overpriced listing. All of that's going to do is hurt me. 
right now, with the market being the way it is, I'm walking away from more listings than I normally do. And sometimes it's just the right thing to do. It just might not be the right time for them to sell. And at other times, you just got to be honest with them and just say, look, if you're expecting $450,000 and all of these very same houses have been selling for $350,000, I just can't help you. I, what I've always wanted to say is, why don't you find a realtor that specializes in not selling houses? I specialize in selling houses, but I've never had the guts to say that. Have you ever encountered commission objections? Not so much anymore. Commission objections don't seem to be an issue anymore. I know we can't talk about exact commissions on this call, but I do have that in my listing presentation of what commissions generally are, and I talk about the range. And I'm not afraid to share the fact that our realtor population has dropped by a massive amount, and that if you look in the stats of the MLS, the average realtor is only selling just a few, a couple of homes a year in, in our marketplace. And so I need to make sure that your house is available to everybody. So we've got two things going on here. It's much harder for me to sell your house now, which costs me more money and time. And we wanted to make sure we're paying a big enough commission to the showing agent to make sure that they're actually going to show your house compared to the same one down the street. So now's not the time to have the discussion about lowering the commission. If anything, we should be raising the commission. Do you ever get people to raise the commission and maybe offer more to a buyer's agent? I'm not a big believer in the offer more to the buyer's agent thing. I believe if you put a comment in there, you know, bring me an offer before November 15th and we get an extra 2000 bucks. When I'm working as a buyer's agent, I feel that that puts me in a tough spot. So if I'm pushing that house to you versus the one down the street and you happen to notice that, you're going to think that I did that for the extra two grand. So I'd rather that they reduce the price. I may be wrong on that. I'm sure there's callers right now shaking their heads saying, no, 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 Rob's got that one all messed up. And that may very well be the case. But for me, that just works better. I'd say, you know, here's what I'd rather do. Let's drop the price another X thousand dollars. Once you take on that listing, how do you market it to get it sold? I'm on a whole bunch of websites, and here's a good tip. What I did one day is I went to my website provider, RealPro Systems, and said, hey, when I stick my listing on there, where does it go? And I went to the MLS, and I said, when I stick my listing on the MLS system here in Portland, where does it replicate to? And I went to all the different sites, and basically I found out that my listing goes to 32 different websites. So what I did, remember I talked about that other program called Snagit, is I took one of my listings by listing number and address, and I searched all the different sites. We're talking Realtor.com, Trulia, Zillow, Prudential, Prudential Business Properties, RobLevy.com, all of the different sites. And I went there, and I snagged a picture of the same listing on all of these sites, and I put it into a little package that I carry with me as a PDF file. And if anybody ever questions what I'm doing to market my listings, I show them. I say, look, I'm putting your home on all these sites, and I scroll through all of those pages. The reality is every other realtor in town pretty much has them going to all of the same websites, but nobody ever shows them that. So show them that, and they realize that it's all over the Internet. They don't really realize that it's all over the Internet unless you show them. You didn't just give them a list of the sites in text format. You're showing them pictures. I'm a visual guy, so maybe it's just me, but I think a picture's worth a thousand words. And I'm not giving them time to even look at these, but they can see it's the same house because they can see the picture, and I'm just whipping through it fast. You know, look, these are all the different sites this particular listing went on, and I'm doing the same thing with yours. So I do market extensively on the Internet. I explain that. I do show them the chart from NAR that shows 88% of home buyers come from the Internet. So right out of the gate, that's one of my first things I talk about. I say, you know, 88% of the buyers come from the Internet. That's where I do all of my advertising. And I tell them, I say, you know, the last five years I've been the top producing realtor in all of the 700-plus Prudential Realtors in Portland. And I find it very interesting that that happened at the same time that I quit doing any print advertising. So that doesn't work. 
I don't like doing open houses. I'm not a believer in they sell. Uh, in my marketplace, we just don't sell homes at open houses. I know that that's not the case for a lot of callers in the country, particularly resort markets and stuff. But it just doesn't work here. So I try and get around that one too. And I use comedy on that one. I say, you know, open houses, here's how I feel about them. If it's football season, you've got a flat screen TV, beer in the fridge, central air, and a lock on the front door, I'll do them. And they laugh. And I say, I, you know, guys, I'm joking, but I'm trying to show you what are the odds of somebody driving down the street, pulling in, walking in your house, and saying, oh, my gosh, I've been waiting my whole life for this house and buying it. There's some to none. So then I'll say, look, we'll do them. My buyer's agents like to do them because we pick up buyers. But I don't want you guys thinking that you're going to sell your house at an open house. It happens once in the blue moon. And all of the things that we just talked about in this listing presentation happen once in the blue moon. And, but all of them combined, something's going to find you a buyer. And one of the lines that I use is you know, when you talk about, they say, well, how are you going to sell a house? It doesn't sound like you're doing a lot to do it. I say, you know, I may not be the person that sells your house, but I am the reason that your house sold. And that's a very powerful statement because it makes them realize that, hey, this guy's really marketing my house and doing everything he can to get it sold. How do you provide showing feedback to your sellers and how often? I use an automated system where basically... Every showing that happens syncs with a lockbox, and then the email system sends out an email to the agent asking for feedback. If the agent doesn't give us feedback, it notifies me and I call them and get feedback. And then when it happens, if you were to fill out a feedback form right now as a showing agent, that's going to blast out to Mr. Seller, Mrs. Seller, and me all at the same time. And I show them that up front. I say, this is how it's going to work. And I explain that you're going to get emails from a system that I use that some of these aren't going to be complimentary. And if you've got a dirty red rug in the dining room, they might say there's a filthy red rug in the dining room. But we need to know those things because we need to know what buyers think of your home. And that's the best way to find out. I'm not buying your house and you're not buying your house and, and you're incredibly biased. It, it really isn't important what you think. It's what actual buyers looking in this neighborhood in this price range for this type of house are thinking. And that type of feedback we're going to get you. Who negotiates the offer when you receive an offer on one of your listings? 99% of the time I do that. I'm a bit of a control freak. I, and in my team, I pretty much handle the listing stuff. The buyer's agents handle the buyer's side. So on one of my listings, unless I'm not available, I'm going to be handling it. Who handles your inspection negotiation? Sometimes I do. Sometimes Kathy, my assistant, does. It kind of depends if I'm in town or if I've got another appointment or something like that. So kind of half and half. I think you mentioned earlier, you try to attend all your closings? I do. I, I really do the very best that I can. Unless I'm out of town or it's a last-minute closing that got thrown in at the last second, I try to always be there because it's just a great opportunity to ask for more business. Let's switch gears and talk about buyers. How many buyers are you and your team currently working with? Well, like I said earlier, electronically, it's well over 4,000. I just gave you the exact number I looked up right before the call, and I've forgotten it already. Um, 4330. 4330. That's how many we're currently working with electronically. In reality, right now, we track it in our system, and I think right now we've got about 21, 22 buyers in various stages, not counting pending deals that they're working with, or somebody's planning on coming here two weeks from Tuesday or something to look at homes. And that's with two buyer's agents. I keep them pretty busy. You mentioned at the beginning of the call we sold less than 100 homes. Normally, I sell more than 100 homes. Last year was you know, definitely an off year. Do you require a buyer to sit down and meet with you and your team before you'll show them homes? Yes and no. We kind of cover most of the city. Portland's interesting in the, the size of the city. It's 
it's like a little big city or a big small town, but it doesn't necessarily make sense to bring them here if we're looking at houses 30 minutes away. So if we can, we'll have them come in, and my buyer's agents know that they to try to get people to come in during the day, and they'll bring them into our office and introduce them to everybody. I mean, Aaron, the photography guy, to Kathy, my assistant, to if it's Tamara, one of my buyer's agents, she's going to introduce her to Bobby, the other buyer's agent, and just say, if anything happens where you know, I'm not available right when you need me, Bobby's here, and this is Rob, he's oversees everything, and we let them know that you know, they've got an entire team looking out for them. Yeah, one of the things I do on my listing presentations, I actually bring that up and say, I've got a picture of my team, and I say, you know, there's five of us, and really we should be charging five times the commission rate, but you get all five of us for one fee. I think it's very important to let them know that they've got a whole team. I mean, this is a business. I'm trying to portray a business attitude, and they've got a whole team looking after them. So we bring them in, and we do that, and we do a consultation. Um, we really don't take anybody out unless they've already talked to our lender. We've gotten them at least not necessarily approved, but pre-qualified and stuff. And, uh, you know, try and do a lot of that legwork beforehand. I don't want to waste their time, and I don't want them wasting our time either. In Oregon, do you practice buyer agency or buyer brokerage? Yeah, we do. We either represent the buyer or the seller. We are allowed to represent both on our own listings with prior disclosure. We do use a buyer brokerage agreement on the majority of our buyers. But what we find is we do the initial consult, and then we show them a few houses, and at that point, we basically say, look, you know, we're going to be committed to helping you find the house. It seems like our relationship's going pretty good. We would like to show you this form, and this commits you to working with us, and us committed to working with you to help you find a home. And most of the time, they'll sign that form. And the way that I look at it is, is you'd never list a house without a listing agreement. Why would you shop some buyer around town for three days without some sort of a commitment from them that they're going to buy a house from you? Did you mention that you will show them a few houses before you require that to be signed? Sometimes. Probably 50% of the time, I feel like you've got to give them a test drive, so to speak. We're not going to drive them all over town all day long looking at houses, though. I mean, we'll look at three or four homes and then talk about it. There are exceptions to everything we've talked about on this whole interview. have got to be flexible sometimes and kind of work with different sets of people. Could you please list the positions you have on your team and the tasks that they're responsible for? Sure. I call myself the team leader. I pretty much handle all of the listings, the negotiating of the listings. Sometimes I get involved with offers with my buyer's agents and stuff and just running the day-to-day operations of the team. I have Kathy. She's a wonderful assistant. And by the way, I'm kind of a, as you can probably tell by the interview, I'm an I and a D type personality. And I've got Kathy, and she's very calming, very thorough, doesn't miss anything. And she's the perfect person to have in there as my lead admin person. And she's the one that makes sure that this giant stack of papers we just threw on her desk and ran out the doors has got all the initials and everything in the right place. I know this is slightly off subject, but we use DocuSign on pretty much everything we do. So whenever a buyer's agent or myself is getting something signed, Kathy's always on there as a CC. So she always gets copies of our stuff that comes into her. That's the good news. The bad news is, is bits and pieces come in at different times. So we also make sure we always sit down every couple of days and have a meeting and go over every transaction on where we are. We have two buyer's agents, Tamara and Bobby, and all that they focus on are buyers, and that's part of the pitch when I'm talking to somebody. I just picked up the phone and I was talking to you, and I'll say, you know, Mike, this is the way that we work. We have a team, and I've got Bobby and Tamara on my team. They're both native Portlanders. They've both been in the business close to 15 years. They're extremely knowledgeable on the market, and they're going to be working with you. And then we have Aaron, and he is kind of, kind of our gopher guy, does a lot of video stuff, 
Yesterday, he picked up a key on a house that was going into foreclosure. He put a key in a new listing where we had to have the front door lock rekeyed. He went and took pictures of a new house that came on the market and put it on all the websites in the MLS and created the flyer and blah, 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 blah. So the team approach is good. I think sellers like to know that we're running this as a business. And part of the way that I use that in a listing presentation is I say, you know, here's the picture of my team. We operate as a team. There are other realtors that are actually going to say, well, I know Rob Levy. One of the problems with Rob is when you call, you're not always going to get him. And there's things that I have to say to that, by the way. Don't be afraid to have a team because you're a control freak. People come to me because of the values that I represent, not necessarily for me. So as long as I surround myself with people that represent the same values that I do, my clients are going to be happy. How do you compensate these people? In the state of Oregon, basically if you breathe the word real estate, you've got to have a license. So nobody's on my team without a license, except for Aaron, kind of my gopher guy. The buyer's agents are split 50-50 with buyer deals. So I'll generate the lead. They turn them into deals, and they're paid 50% of the commission after whatever comes off the top. So Mother Prue gets a piece, for instance, or maybe a referring agent or something like that. If they saw one of my listings, they get 55%. So there's an encouragement there to push my own listings. And then if they bring in their own person, somebody they met at an open house or their sister's second cousin's best friend, they get 60%. And then Kathy, we used to do on a bonus system, but she just prefers getting a regular salary all the time. I pay her very well. She does a very good job. She's extremely thorough, and she's very loyal. And I find that if I'm very loyal to my team, they're very loyal to me. The runner? He's paid just on an hourly basis. I can't bonus him because he's not licensed. When you hire buyer agents, do you prefer experienced agents or inexperienced? That's a really good question. I had a very stable team for a very long time. One person was with me 13 years, one was with me seven years, and two of them kind of took off and went off on their own. And I tried a couple of new agents. One of the slogans that I use is, now more than ever, experience counts. So I found that the new agents don't have the experience. And you know, those of us that have weathered a couple of downturns before, we can be of greater help to our clients. So what I found in both cases, uh, Tamara and Bobby are experienced agents, 15 and I think 17 years in the business, And they were kind of floundering a little bit. And it wasn't due to lack of skills. It was due to lack of marketing skills and stuff like that. So they see it's wonderful that I'm generating the leads for them, and they can actually go out and do what they do best, which is showing houses and writing deals. And for that, I need experienced agents. And I find that works the best for me. Do you have any kind of quota system in place for your buyer agents? Do they have to close a certain number of transactions, either per month or per year? You know, you're going to tell me off for this because it goes against everything. And you're going to laugh. In all the years I've been doing this, I don't even use a business plan. And there are people on this call just crying right now, I'm sure. It's just me. I just don't feel like if I say we're going to do 125 units this year and I'm at 123 on December the 23rd, that I'm going to push a couple of... I don't want to be enticed to push a couple of people into some houses. And to me, it's like the only thing that we have to sell are time and expertise. And I just think if we do our job right, all of this stuff falls into place. To directly answer your question on how I do that with my buyer's agents, we have weekly meetings. They always know that I'm available. They can text me, email me, whatever. And I go over with them and I kind of coach them on transactions they're involved with. And let's take a look at your leads and let's figure out who to put in the A spot and the B spot and the C spot and stuff like that. And I think as long as I do that, they're continually moving. We don't really need to have draw quotas. And if somebody's not going to be a worker, I don't want them working with my team anyway. Are you profitable? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. I mean, I do believe in 
paying well. Uh, some people might say, based on what I said, that I'm overpaying. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to take advantage of people. These people work hard. We work as a group. We do fun things together outside of real estate. It needs to be shared. So I might be a little less profitable than some of my competitors, but I've got an incredibly loyal team, and we have a lot of fun, and we take care of people. So I'm okay with that. There are going to be some agents who are trying to plan. Could you help them out by giving them a profit margin percentage that you've either been able to achieve or is an objective? Well, it's all gone to hell in a handbasket in the last couple of years because of the whole short sale thing. So all of a sudden we found that we've gotten ourselves into a situation where we're doing a massive amount of work getting these short sale listings sold and making half the money because the prices have dropped. So I can't give you exact profit numbers, but what I can say is this. Move into it slowly. First off, I really believe that once you get to a certain point, if you don't have an assistant, you are one. And you really need to sit down and try and figure out, okay, how much money do I make an hour? If you're supposed to be making $100 an hour, you figure, and you're doing $15 an hour work, then it doesn't make any sense for you to do that. So the first step that I'd advise to people is maybe talk to another agent in your office and share an assistant. Or there's virtual assistants, both onshore and offshore. There's several companies around. Just Google real estate virtual assistants, and you'll see them popping up. And now there's some offshore stuff, too. Google that as well. I forget a couple of names. I know of a case of a company in the Philippines that are doing virtual assistant work. There's an agent in our office that has two people full-time in the Philippines doing their work, and I believe it's $6 an hour. So there's very inexpensive ways of getting into this. You know, do check with your broker. Do make sure you're not breaking any licensing laws and stuff like that. But to me, that makes sense. You know, focus on what you do the very best, and you will be profitable. How do you keep control of your time? Being the techie nerd that I am, I believe that technology helps me with that a great way. On the one hand, using technology makes you too available, and it's too easy to just answer everybody's phone call and stuff like that. I generally don't give out my cell phone, but my voicemails come into my email, and I can play them on my cell phone. And my wife and I kind of have a deal going. She knows I'm kind of a little bit of a workaholic, and she keeps me under control. But by the same token, if we're on vacation or something, I mean, I'll check in in the morning and check in in the afternoon. And we've become pretty good at the vacation thing. We took off seven weeks this year. My plan is to do eight weeks next year. We have a house on the Oregon coast and a house in Palm Springs. But one of the lucky things with me is I sleep about five hours a night, and she sleeps about eight. So I can get up in the morning and do a bit of work before she gets up, and then I'll check in in the afternoon. One of the things I did do well back with my team that's worked very well that I learned from about mine is empower them to make decisions. First off, everybody on my team knows that they can write a check without questioning me for up to $250 for anything. Stuff happens, you know. I mean, you forget to mention that there was a broken disposal in a house or something like that. Once I did that, nobody does it. I probably write two or three a year, and I'm okay with that. The second thing is, is Bev and I just got back from two weeks in Portugal. And, you know, that's nine time zones away from Portland, Oregon. And I had my iPad and stuff, and I was connected, and we have our iPhones, and we use AT&T. We do a lot of world traveling, and that works everywhere in the world. And I said, look, you guys can call me anytime you want, but here's what I'm asking you to do first. You're all super great at what you do. You're the best of the best. Meet amongst yourselves. Come up with a problem. Describe three possible solutions. Figure out which solution you think is going to be the best solution to that problem, and if you don't think that's going to work, then give me a call. They never call, because by the time they've done all that, they've figured out the answer. So I'm able to balance it that way as well. But I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that I don't think real estate all the time. I am. I, I like it. I love what I do, and it's hard to break away from it. But like I said, I'm able to turn it off for at least 
set blocks of hours at a time when I'm on vacation. How many hours do you think you work in a typical week? I'm probably a 60-hour-a-week guy, but it's not necessarily all day every day. I do love to cook, and I come home, and my wife, she started her career after raising our three boys, and they all went to college, and they all came back from college unemployed, and now they're finally all gone, and my joke is the boys are gone, the dog's died, life has begun, and she and I have always been big Pacific Northwest art collectors, and she opened her own art gallery two years ago, and I need to support her. She was always there to support me. So I come home, and my goal every day is to have a really cool meal ready for her. And then after dinner sometimes, she knows I'll spend another hour sitting there with my face stuffed in the iPad, just emailing this or searching that. And, you know, it kind of works in, in spits and spurts. It works. Do you work the weekend? On and off. It just kind of depends. I will sometimes go on appointments on Saturdays and stuff. She works on Saturdays till 3 at her gallery, so I'll book some appointments for Saturday morning, Saturday lunchtime, something like that. But I will do my best to spend quality time with her as well and, and with my boys. Do you run any affiliated business? I do have an affiliated business. I was very lucky in that about seven years ago, I connected up with a good friend of mine. Uh, at the time, he was Remax's top guy in, in Eugene, and I was, and he's now with Keller Williams. And I was um, Prudential's top guy in Portland, and I'm still with Prudential. But we're in markets that are about 110 miles apart. So we started sharing ideas. And this is where we came up with the whole stealth site concept. And I mentioned it at the Prudential conference, and he mentioned it at a Remax conference. And we were both part of Howard Brinton's Star Power Systems. We both mentioned it there. About 10 or 20 agents came up and said, can we get that? So I went to Galen Haas, that's his name, my partner, and, and we hired a techie and, and said, let's kind of start a little company, just build a few of these and kind of like, let's pay for our own habits, so to speak, our own tech habits. And we did. And those people told people that told people that told people that told people. And now we have a very successful company called RealPro Systems. And we have over 40 employees and several thousand clients using our systems, which would be websites, Facebook pages, stealth sites, so on and so forth. And what I've found is that it gives us much more credibility to our clients if Galen and I stay out there as top producing realtors. Because we're not necessarily a company just selling websites. We're actually a couple of realtors selling websites that work. So we're able to tweak and find things that match the current market, such as the Facebook business pages right as of this recording. That'll change next year. It'll be probably Google Circles or something like that. So my affiliation with that is that I'm a one-third owner, as is Galen, and, and I'll spend probably a total of about 8, 10 hours a week dealing with that. So I do need the team, and part of what I've told my team is, look, when I'm involved with this other company, we actually have somebody run it for us, um, one of our other, who's now a partner. But I'm involved with this company, and, and using this website is what gets us leads. So they support me because they know that that also is the mouth that feeds them. So it works quite well. I'm able to balance the two reasonably well. You do spend time in that other company, so about 10 hours per week, but somebody else is running it on a day-to-day -day basis. What tasks are you working on in that other company? I'll do some coaching calls and stuff. I attend conferences on their behalf and speak. I'm requested quite often around the country to speak on technology. And so I'll go out there, and we'll, of course, we'll have a booth there at the time and so on. So, you know, you live in Portland, Oregon, and you're going to Florida. It's a six-hour flight to Atlanta and a two-hour flight from Atlanta. So it's a day going there and a day coming back and the day there. So, you know, that sort of stuff takes time. What we've found of late is that Realtors have kind of been ignoring their web presence for the last several years, and all of a sudden, we've got a lot fewer agents out there, and the ones that are left are more business people. 
And the business people are looking at it and saying, holy cow, I haven't changed my presence in four years. I've still got my high school photo on there. Yeah, we need to do something differently. And they're looking more now into business lead generation systems rather than just a website. I mean, we talked about these self sites. Let's think about it for a second. What is a website? Basically, it's some guy holding a business card up in cyberspace saying, come find me. So really, the way to think about these things now is lead generation systems. And if somebody wants to learn more about RealPro Systems, where would they go? www.realprosystems.com. If they want to look at what the sites are like, mine, obviously, is the RealPro site, and that's www.roblevy.com, and that's L-E-V-Y, like tax levy. And you mentioned one of your stealth sites. I'm trying to remember one of those names. Several. PortlandMLS.net would be a buyer stealth site. OregonBankOwned.com would be a bank-owned stealth site. The callers are welcome to go there and fill out the form and see what happens. The only thing I'd ask is that you just put a comment in there that that's what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to have one of my buyer's agents calling you trying to bug you to buy a house in Portland. So maybe in their name, they'll say bogus. Yeah. Rob, what drives you? I don't like to disappoint people. I'm a very moral person. I've used the same escrow officer for 23 years, extremely loyal, and I don't like to disappoint people. So I work very hard to make sure that I do a very, very good job. On a personal level, you know, the sky is always blue for me. I'm just one of those people where I'm pretty much always happy. As I mentioned, I grew up living in many countries, so I'm definitely a traveler. My wife and I have a vacation home on the Oregon coast and one in Palm Springs, and my desire is to spend time there. No, I don't necessarily get away from work. We've got Wi-Fi in each place and broadband internet and our iPads and stuff like that. But, you know, going out there and relaxing and stuff is what drives me. And probably the thing I'm most grateful for, to be honest, is I've done a super job of raising three boys. That's probably what I'm the proudest of. So, you know, having the family around, enjoying vacation time, enjoying time together with my family and friends, that's what drives me the most. Why are you successful? I think that I enjoy what I do. I think I'm good at what I do for the most part. And I think people see that. And I think success breeds success. And people are happy to refer me to other people because I don't always do my job right, but I try very hard and I surround myself with quality people. I can't take credit for it all. It's it's the quality people around me that, that really add to that, whether that be my friends, my associates, or my team. Do you invest in real estate? I do. My wife and I own many rentals, several of which we wish the hell we'd never bought. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big believer in, in rental real estate. My kids were put through college based on the rents that my tenants paid me. I think it's really interesting you bring this question up, and I realize this interview is being done in 2011, and people may hang on to it for years. But the reality is the way that you look at residential rental real estate, I think, has changed because we don't know that the appreciation is always going to be there. We've just had that slapped in our face a few times over the last few years. But as a, for instance, you can buy $100,000 houses now that used to be 200000 and they're easy to rent because so many people have lost their homes. So you're getting some good rents coming in. So let's say you buy a house for $100,000. As an investor, you've got to put, today you've got to put 25% down, so it's twenty-five grand, and you're getting 1000 a month coming in. You know, do the math. For today's interest rates, that's like a four or $450 a month positive cash flow. So the way that I'm starting to look at rental real estate now is if you take that positive cash flow and you throw it back onto the mortgage, you've got that sucker paid off in eight and a half, nine years. So do I care if my $100,000 house has gone up nine years from now? No. 
let's just say nine years from now, it's still only worth $100,000. Somebody just gave me $75,000 for the $25,000 I put into it with little or no risk. And all of a sudden, even if my rents never go up, they're paying me $1,000 a month in rent. And I've written off the interest, and I've written off the taxes, and I've depreciated the house. To me, that's a fantastic place to put my money right now versus in the bank, the stock market, or something like that. So you bet. I'm a big believer in rental, residential real estate. Rob, if you were to advise a brand new agent just getting into the business, what would you tell them to do first? Run. Run fast. Now, now the truth is, this is a great time to get in the business. I think that has been weeded out as to the, the people that were just, the players that were just in the game for the short run are all gone. And the people that are left are quality business people. So the first thing that I would advise is 88% of your buyers are on the Internet. Immediately arm yourself. Understand technology. Understand DocuSign. Understand websites. Get yourself a really good web presence. Start marking yourself as an expert because you really are an expert because you've got IDX and all of those listings displaying on your site. Once you get a website, go out there and talk to other agents in your office. Because if you remember, if I listed your house today, Mike, it's not Rob Levy listing your house. It's Prudential Northwest Properties is listing your house. So I could go to other agents in my office and say, do you mind if I put your listing on my website? So all of a sudden, you've got some inventory on your website. Start doing open houses to pick up buyers. And start getting your name out there in various places. Stay away from the print advertising. That's my personal opinion. And you'll do fine. But I think the key there is understanding and being able to use technology. I don't consider myself a hugely smart person. I didn't go to college. But I can learn from what other people are doing and adapt and use that myself. And just like some people from this call are going to take some of the things I just talked about and apply that to their market, I do the same when I listen to your interviews with other people. I say, what a great idea. How can I apply that to my market? And by the way, you talked about the new agent. I think that's a differentiator between successful agents and non-successful agents. Some say, that'll never work in my market. And I think the successful agents say, how could that work in my market? And that's the difference right there. Well, Rob, you certainly answered the question, how can that work in my market? You have a rare gift. You can combine nerdy technology with a charismatic personality. Your openness and inquisitive mind have propelled your business forward and amplified your success. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club 
where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.